1 Corinthians 13, verses 2, 4 through 8, and 13. If I have such complete faith that I can move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It isn't jealous. It doesn't brag. It isn't arrogant. It isn't rude. It doesn't seek its own advantage. It isn't irritable. It doesn't keep a record of complaints. It isn't happy with injustice, but it is happy with the truth. Love puts up with all things, trusts in all things, hopes for all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Now faith, hope, and love remain. These three things, and the greatest of these is love. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Carrie, for reading our scripture lesson this morning. And just want to add another word of gratitude for our praise band. Awesome job. Um, I don't know if you know it or not. We got to see Darren and Mary Jo. They're getting married about, what is it, 11 days? Yeah, 11 days. Ooh, getting close. Excited about that. Uh, happy for y'all. Excited about that. And uh, we're so proud of those who offer their talents and abilities for us up here. It's a, it's a wonderful thing we get to enjoy. And it's good to see all of you here today. Again, if you don't know, if you're visiting, my name is Ricky Willis. I'm senior pastor here, and we're just glad to be worshiping in this place with you. So let us ask for God's spirit to open our hearts and to focus our mind and spirits in this time together. Let's pray. God, we just um, come to this moment opening ourselves, asking for your Holy Spirit to speak to us. God, you know the needs in this place. You know where we all are in our walk with you and Lord, I just pray that your spirit would meet us where we are. I ask that you use me in this moment for your glory. I pray that you would open our minds to your voice, our hearts to be shaped, so that we leave this place more the people you call us to be. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the last uh, couple of weeks, we have been in the midst of a series of sermons where we've been taking a look at 21 questions. Uh, These are questions that um, were put together by John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, back in 1729. He actually put them together for his younger brother, Charles. Uh, Charles and a group of his friends were attending Oxford University. And um, they came to John and said, John, um, you know, we want to become the real deal. We want to become more deeply committed Christians. We want to grow in our spiritual lives. Can you help us with this? And so John put together 21 questions for them to reflect upon. And for them to discuss together with one another in in small groups or when they met together on a regular basis. And these questions were aimed at helping them to examine their hearts uh, to see kind of how their spiritual lives were and uh, to check where they were in their Christian world. And so this is what this is what we've been seeking to do over the last couple of weeks. Uh, Each week you've been given a study guide. You have one in your bulletin this morning. And in that study guide are questions, uh, one for each day of the week that we've been encouraging you to reflect upon and as a way to examine your own heart and to see how it connects with your life and with your spiritual walk. And um, we come to the last set of questions for this week. In fact, I want to invite you if, you, if you got the handout this morning, I invite you to take that out. It's in your bulletin, the study guide there. If you don't, we have some on the table in the back. But I want to walk you through the questions that we have for this week. And I'd like to ask if you have a pen, if you need one, there's, again, one on the back back there. But I, you've got something to write with. I'd encourage you to take that out because I want you to, as I read these questions, I want you to mark in some way. You can circle, mark it, start, whatever, those questions that you struggle with. 
not the ones that your spouse or significant other struggles with, and the questions you struggle with. And, uh, and, you know, if you don't want anybody seeing the person next to you seeing what you're marking, you just make a mental note of this. But uh, I'm going to walk through these questions with you, and uh, here's the list. We have um, on Sunday, the question for today is, do I thank God that I'm not like others? Then on Monday, the question is, am I consciously or unconsciously creating the impression that I'm better than I am? In other words, am I a hypocrite? <laughs> you might want to do that one in secret. Um, <clears throat> Tuesday is, do I confidentially pass on to others what was told to me in confidence? Wednesday's question is, am I jealous, impure, critical, irritable, touchy, or distrustful? Now, if you don't make a mark by that one, then you're probably uh, lying. <laughs> you're not being uh, honest with yourself because we all struggle with those. On Thursday, uh, am I honest in all of my actions, words, or do I exaggerate? Hmm. Friday, uh, is there anyone whom I fear, dislike, disown, criticize, hold resentment toward, or disregard? Now, again, that's one of those questions you probably ought to put something next to. Uh, Saturday, when did I last speak to someone about my faith? Now, I've got a mark on most every one of those questions on my list, and I'm, I'm guessing that you probably have some uh, of those circled for you as well. Um, today, we're actually going to be looking at two of these questions you have for this week that really kind of tie into all the other questions. Uh, the first question that we're going to deal with is the one that we have for today. It's Sunday's question. Is, do I thank God that I am not like others? And that may seem to be a strange question to ask of ourselves. But remember, these questions are aimed at trying to get us to examine the condition of our hearts. And all of these questions that you're dealing with this week, most all of them, are asking us to, con- to look at the condition of our hearts as it relates to other people. And um, this particular question is talking about things like self-righteousness, a holier-than-thou attitude, being judgmental. Uh, thinking, uh, comparing myself to others and putting myself up here and everybody else down here and taking some delight in that. When Wesley uses this phrase, do I thank God that I'm not like others? He's actually drawing from a parable that Jesus told in in Luke's gospel, the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. And uh, you remember the Pharisees were this group of very pious religious people, um, and they, um, they were focused on religious purity and spiritual holiness, and many of them were rabbis of the local synagogues in town. And then you had the tax collectors, who were the ones who collected the taxes for the Roman government. These were fellow Jews who were collecting taxes for the Roman government. And so they were seen as being traitors to their own people. And, you know, it, it, there really was no limit on how much they could collect. As long as the Romans got their share, they didn't care. And so these tax collectors were despised by uh, their people. I mean, if you were to ask people in that century uh, who were the worst sinners of society, they would quickly say the tax collectors. So you've got this pious group of, of Pharisees and you've got these despised tax collectors. And you can read this parable in Luke chapter 18. But I thought it would be neat for us to actually hear Jesus uh, telling this parable as it's portrayed in the, 19, uh, two, no, the 2014 movie, Son of God. Turn your attention to the screen. Stinking vermin. You should keep your distance from me. Two men. 
went to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee. And the other one. A tax collector. The Pharisee prayed. God. I thank you that I'm not like other men. Thieves. Adulterers. Or this tax collector. But the tax collector didn't even look up to heaven. He said, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. God bless the tax collector, not the Pharisee. Anyone who praises himself will be humbled. And anyone who humbles himself will be praised. Matthew, come. you get a sense of how Jesus is able to look into our hearts and sense to see how we judge others. There just seems to be something within us. Maybe it's an insecurity that we have in ourselves, but we just, there's something within us that causes us to, to look down on others. In the introduction to this parable, Luke tells us that Jesus told this parable to certain people who had convinced themselves that they were righteous. He looked on everyone else with disgust. Again, we're talking about self-righteousness. Being judgmental. Being filled with spiritual pride. A holier-than-thou attitude. And this is the condition of the heart that Jesus was addressing in this parable. And this is the condition of the heart that John Wesley was addressing with this question. Do I look at others and thank God that I'm not like them? And Sometimes the more religious we become, the more we tend to struggle with this question, this tendency. And Jesus had to to warn his own disciples on numerous occasions about this. And I think it's something we have to guard against as well. When we become more religious, we tend to look at the actions of other people and notice things they're doing more. We we often say to ourselves, you know, like I said, I I used to do that. But I know better now. <clears throat> you know, I don't do that anymore. So we feel kind of good about ourselves. <clears throat> um, but them, them people over there, mm-mm-mm. how sad. So sad. I'm not suggesting that anybody here in this congregation does that. But I know of Christians, there are some Christians who do. And one of the problems we tend to have when it comes to looking at others is we're, we like to take out a magnifying glass. <laughs> When it comes to everybody else, we like to be able to, to see all the faults, all the shortcomings, all the, the things that other people are doing wrong. We use a magnifying glass for that. But when it comes to ourselves, 
we like to use uh, what I call rose-colored glasses, you know, right? <laughs> we use rose-colored glasses for everything. everything. Everything about ourselves looks great. <laughs> it's wonderful. And it's not just how we do this as Christians. We also do this in a lot of areas of our lives, like marriage, for instance. And in marriage, we, we're very quick to pull out uh, the magnifying glass and look and observe all the, the faults and the things that our spouse does wrong. But when it comes to us, it's not quite that way. We also see this tendency done between churches, between denominations. You have some uh, churches that say, you know, we're more saved than they are, you know. And, and atheists do this toward religious people. <clears throat> atheists have a tendency to, to look at religious people and say, you know, we're up here. And those look down there at those foolish religious people. But, of course, Christians, we tend to do that toward atheists, too, don't we? And you see this tendency uh, happening when it comes to educational levels between people, income levels. We see blue collar and white collar, you know, doing this with each other. Uh, we even see it happen um, in things like LSU and Alabama. Or uh, <clears throat> Mississippi State, you know, like, thank God we're not like those folks, you know, that <laughs> kind of stuff. Uh, and, and what Jesus was trying to encourage us to do was to, to not use the magnifying glass on everybody else all the time, was to use it on ourselves, to examine our own spiritual lives and stop focusing on everybody else. This is what <clears throat> we see in this text. It's also what we see in this question from John Wesley. In Matthew chapter um, 7, Jesus says to his own disciples, he says, don't judge so that you won't be judged. <clears throat> You'll receive the same judgment you give. Whatever you deal out will be dealt, to you, dealt, out, dealt out to you. Why do you see the splinter that's in your brother's eye or sister's eye, but you don't see the log that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother or sister, let me take the splinter out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? I mean, you deceive yourselves. First, take the log out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother or sister's eye. Again, stop using the magnifying glass on everybody else around you. Rather, use it to examine your own life. Look at your own issues first. Let me ask you the question. Whenever you see Christians uh, being judgmental or having this holier-than-thou attitude toward others, do you think that draws non-religious people to the Christian faith? Of course not. (laughs) It does just the opposite. It pushes them away. It causes them to say, you know, why would I want to be a part of that? And yet that's the number one reason that you have so many in our society claiming that they're turning away from Christianity and religion in general because they see so many so-called religious people behaving in this way. In the second half of Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul lays out this list of sins. And as you read that list of sins, you quickly find yourself going like, "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, yep. Yep, that's, that's a bad one. Oh, I know a lot of people who do that. Yeah, you're agreeing with Paul. But then he kind of sucks you in. As you, as you continue reading, you find that he's, all of a sudden he's talking about stuff in your life. By the time you get to the end of this chapter, you feel like your feet have been just stomped on by the Apostle Paul. And he concludes it by saying this. He says, so every single one of you who judge others is without any excuse. You condemn yourselves when you judge another person because the one who is judging is doing the same thing. So how do we stop doing this? I mean, nobody wants to be like that. I mean, how do we break free from this idea of seeing ourselves being better than other people and judging others? Well, one of the ways you do that is by, you know, not using that magnifying glass on everybody or else around you, but you start focusing inward, examining your own life. 
that's one of the ways. That's part of the answer. And there, there are many other things we can do. And I'm going to get to that in just a moment. But I want to move on to this the second question that Wesley poses to us. This is the question that I actually told you that if you didn't put a mark by this, you're probably uh, not being self-aware or probably lying. <clears throat> but uh, it's the question, am I jealous, impure, critical, irritable, touchy, or distrustful? You know, now, there's a whole lot that we could talk about in that question. It covers a lot of territory. So I just want to focus on one part of that question. Am I critical? Am I critical? I think you could see how that relates to this first question we dealt with. Am I being judgmental of others? <clears throat> but um, we all know people like this. We all know people who are who are critical. And I'm not talking about those people who uh, offer, you know, um, Helpful criticism. Uh, this is a you know, constructive criticism that, that helps other people, or at least it's trying to. I'm talking about those who just seem to have a, a critical spirit about them. Uh, these are people who always are seeing the fault of everybody else around them. They're always looking at the negative, at the fault of everybody, the wrong that everybody else is doing. And um, you know, they're always focused on that, and they're very quick to communicate that. Not necessarily directly. They tend to wait till you leave the room until you talk to everybody else about that. I mean, do you know anybody like this? Uh, some of us even have these kind of folks in our own families. Uh, but, you know, I, I think we all struggle with this, at least to some degree. There's just something within us because it's so easy for us to, to focus on the faults and what's wrong in everybody else and to be critical of those things. It's, it's just so easy to fall into that. We not only do that with individuals, we do it with organizations. You know, we, we attend a church. We go to a new church, and maybe some of you are here today, and the first thing we tend to do is take out the magnifying glass. And we're, like, we're just looking for all the stuff we can see. And we're looking at these people in this church going, like, what's really wrong with them? You know, what, <clears throat> what's really going on here? And, uh, and then we start examining the, the music program to see maybe if there's something wrong with that, what, what kind of faults we find there. Then we start examining the, pre- the preacher, you know, to find out uh, what, what, what faults are there. And, and pretty soon, you know, if Jesus Christ was the senior pastor of the church, uh, we'd be finding things to criticize about him too. And when you become like that, you're probably never going to find a church that's going to make you happy because you're always focused on the negative, on what's wrong, the faults of others. You're finding fault in everything. The only church you'd probably be happy at is the one where you're doing everything yourself. And even then, <laughs> it might be that. It's not just with churches. You see this happening in marriages. You see it happening in family relationships. You see it happening in, in the workplace. You see having people talking about the community or about our country. And either you approach life and people and circumstances, always looking to the magnifying glass at what's negative, what's wrong, or you choose to try to focus on the positive, what's, what's you can be thankful for, what's good, what's uh, uh, appropriate to say thank you for these, these situations or these people in that place. <clears throat> I have to confess this often happens with me as a pastor. I mean, I struggle with this too. Uh, every Sunday morning, I'm always evaluating what we're doing here. <clears throat> and my intentions, my, my, my reason for doing that is because I want to try to improve what we're doing and make it better because I want it to be a positive experience for everybody who comes there. And so when we have worship, um, anytime something goes wrong, or there's something missing or whatever, I, I'm making a note of that. Sometimes I actually write it down in <clears throat> my bulletin there to remind myself that I need to deal with that later on. And so if, if there's a word wrong on the screen, you know, I'm making a note, so I need to 
need to tell them to be more careful with the lyrics next week and you know, make those kind of mistakes or, or um, you know, there's something wrong in the, in the bulletin that you've gotten, a mistake there. I'll make a note. I'll circle it to talk to the church secretary to say, hey, you know, you made that mistake. You need to correct that, not get that wrong again anymore. Or maybe there's a song that just it doesn't fit with the theme very well with what we're doing or, um, you know, maybe we have sound issues <laughs> and it's gone bad or, or uh, there's, you know, the greeters didn't show up, things didn't set up right. I mean, there's... There's all kind of things. I'm, so I'm, I'm coming up with this list every Sunday. And my, my motives are, are, are good in the sense that I'm trying to make this a, a better experience. But, you know, if, if the staff or if volunteers, if all they ever hear is, hey, you know, that, that, that didn't go so well Sunday. <laughs> or this was this was a mistake was here. Or, we didn't do that right. We need to correct that. If that's all they're hearing and they never hear, boy, had a girl. That was awesome. You did a great job here. I love what you did there. Then over time... What happens is nobody wants to work with you because um, they don't, they don't want to serve. They don't want to volunteer. They don't even want to serve God because all they're getting is negative feedback. Of course, we, we always strive to do better. We strive to look for those ways we can improve. But when it's constant criticism and negativity and all about what's wrong and stuff, then you know, that ends up just, just hurting people. It just hurts. And it not only hurts other people, it ends up hurting ourselves. Uh, Travis Bradbury, our co-author of the best-selling book, Emotional Intelligence 2.0, he, wrote, he writes these words. He said, repeated complaining actually rewires your brain to make future complaining more likely. Over time, you find that it's easy to be, easier to be negative than to be positive regardless of what's happening around you. Complaining becomes your default behavior, which changes how people perceive you. And when Wesley was asking us, are we being critical all the time? He was trying to get us to examine, is this the condition of our heart? Is it, do we really have a problem with this? And I'm pretty sure that we all struggle with this sometime. And there's other of us who uh, struggle with this all the time. <laughs> and so uh, we have to, um, to understand that, you know, those people who are critical all the time, they end up leading very lonely lives. Because no one wants to be around somebody who's critical all the time and complains all the time. So we have to hear, adhere to this advice of the Apostle Paul that you find in, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. In fact, let's say these words together. They're very important. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up as there is need, so that your words may give as you hear. Now, constructive criticism can be a way to build others up. It can be a very good thing, but it's building others up as there is need so that our words are offering grace to those who hear. Paul also says this. He says, put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. So how do we break free from being so critical? I mean, nobody wants to be like that. How do we break free from this? Well, one of the ways, I think, is through a very simple concept that you find in the Bible called repentance. Now, repentance in the Bible is taken from that Greek word metanoia. And it really means to think differently. It means to have a change of the mind that leads to a change of the heart, that leads to a change of our behavior. So... It requires recognizing that 
we've got a problem with this. And this is why these questions of Wesley are so helpful, because they help us to examine the condition of our heart to see if we have a problem. And if we recognize that we've got a problem with being critical all the time, then we confess that to God. We come to God and we say, God, I've got a problem with this. I I don't want to be like this. I don't want to be that kind of person. So help me, God. We invite God's Holy Spirit to change us from the inside out. We're saying, God, change my heart. Heal me of this. Now, that doesn't happen overnight. (laughs) I mean, these kind of habits and tendencies, um, they're hard to change for some of us. And so what I have come to believe is that if you will pray about this every day, you just make that your mantra. In fact, if you pray about this for the next 30 days, and you'll make it your prayer, God, help me. I I don't want to be this way. And you pray that every day. What you're going to find is that prayer that that you're praying with your mind begins to come to your heart, which begins to change your behavior. You'll find that you're less, you'd be less critical. You'll find that um, you're changed. That comes about from repentance and praying about this every day, asking for God's help. Another solution or help for this, um, overcoming critical spirit, <coughs> is when you're feeling that desire to criticize somebody or criticize something, um, that you just try to stop yourself. I don't know that's hard for <laughs> some of us, but stop yourself and take that moment to think about one thing, just one thing that you can be thankful for about that person or about that situation. You find that this will really make a difference if you can practice it. Uh, I, I struggle with this a lot too. It gets kind of out of my mouth before I realize it. But if, if, you'll, uh, if you'll focus on what you can be thankful for, you'll find that in your marriage, Instead of talking, end up talking about that thing that you're going to criticize your spouse about, you end up talking about that thing that you're thankful for. Changes a lot. Uh, you'll find this to be true when it comes to churches or the workplace or wherever it is. You'll spend more time thinking about and talking about those things you're thankful for instead of the criticism. It begins to change you. It, it makes you a much more pleasant person to be around. <clears throat> but it actually also, as Bradbury says, it actually begins to rewire how you think. You begin to see others in the world differently. Now, this is why the Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. This is God's will for our lives. Well, that leads me to the last point that I want to talk about this morning. All of these questions, these 21 questions we're looking at from Wesley, all of them are really aimed at helping us to form Christian character. And, um, you know, it's seeking to pattern our lives after the example of Jesus Christ. Our characters are going to be shaped by a lot of different things. I mean, our life's experiences, our choices can shape our characters for good or for worse, in a good way and in a bad way. As Christians, we seek to be shaped by the character that we find in Jesus Christ. We want our lives to reflect the character of Jesus Christ. That's the aim of the Christian life. And if you were to name the defining characteristic of a Christian, what would that be? I mean, what is the proof that somebody is really a Christian? It's not how self-righteous they are. It's not how good they are compared to everybody else. It's not how well they know the Bible. When the Bible talks about the defining characteristic of a Christian, it always says the defining characteristic is love. Jesus said, this is how the world would know you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. He said if you were to summarize all the commandments in the Bible, you'd really come down to two, love God and love one another. The Apostle Paul uses this whole chapter of 1 Corinthians. It's devoted to 
to the fact that you can have everything this world offers, but if you don't have love, you don't really have anything. The kind of love that's talked about in the Bible is not the warm, fuzzy kind of love we feel toward others. Rather, it's, it's agape love. Agape is a selfless love. It's a, it's a uh, sacrificial love. It's a love that puts the needs of the other before yourself. It's a love that looks at people and is always asking the question, how can I bless that person? How can I encourage that person? It asks the question, how can I meet the needs of others around me? And when you live into that kind of love, I think the world is drawn to that because that's exemplifying something that people's hearts long for. And ultimately, I think that draws them to the one whose image is placed within us, God. And when I think about this kind of love, I'm reminded of a captain who was in the Polish army prior to World War II. And um, his name was um, Witold Pilecki. And Pilecki was a very devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And uh, this was uh, after the Nazis had invaded Poland and they had begun to set up the death camps there. Blicky began to suspect that something horrible was going on in Auschwitz. At that time, the people of Poland just thought they were prison camps. But he began to suspect that there's something else going on here. And so he went to his superiors and he said, um, I think we should send somebody into Auschwitz to see what's really going on there. I said, well, what do you suggest? He said, I think we need to get one of our own soldiers to pretend that he's a Jew be disguised as a Jew and be arrested and taken into Auschwitz so he can see what's going on there. I said, well, that would be a death sentence. Who would ever volunteer for something like that? He said, I will. I volunteer. And so they um, changed his papers. They did some um, forging of papers so that he would be considered a Jew. He was arrested along with the other Jews. He was taken into Auschwitz where he experienced all the horrors of that place. Here's a picture of him um, before the war. And then we have another picture of him after he had been arrested in Auschwitz. He spent two years in Auschwitz. He was actually scheduled to be executed, and somehow he escaped. He made his way to London, where he met with the Allies and tried to tell them all that he had seen. He said there's over two million Jews who have already been executed in Auschwitz, and they didn't believe him. They did take his information, though, and they used that um, to take over that area of Poland and to... um, free and liberate the people there at Auschwitz. It's kind of sad. Two years later, he was killed uh, after the war. Two years after the war, he was killed because he was part of the, the resistance in Poland against communism, and Stalin had him executed. But after his death, a Jewish journalist said this of him. Once he set his mind to the good, he never wavered. He never stopped. He crossed the great human divide that separates knowing the right thing from actually doing the right thing. A chief rabbi of Poland said this of him. He said, when God created human beings, God had in mind that we would all be like Captain Witold Pilecki. Now, now most of us are never going to be asked to go to a concentration camp to save other people. Most of us are never going to have to lay down our life for another, as Jesus described as the greatest example of love. So what does this love look like for us, people like you and me? I think it really boils down to a lot of small things. 
This kind of love looks like the generosity that was shown by this congregation when we made the appeal for flood buckets and, and our hygiene kits. And people gave money. They bought supplies. We were able to take 100 flood buckets and over 200 hygiene kits over to Texas and hurricane victims there because of the generosity here, along with many other things and financial donations. It was just a tremendous outpouring of love. But those are all small gifts that were put together. I think this love looks like those who deliver care bags to people who are in hospitals here that just feel with a lot of small little things. But what a difference it makes. I think it's exemplified in those who visit the homebound or visit the nursing homes or uh, people who serve in this community in a variety of other ways. It's just a little, the small things that we do to try to make a difference in people's lives. It's like Mother Teresa said, small things done with great love change the world. It's, it's the prayer you make every morning when you get up and say, Lord, here I am, use me today. It's looking at every person that you see and asking the question, how can I bless this person? How can I uh, encourage this person in some way? It's the small things we do every day. This is what this love looks like. It's an attitude of the heart. It's the way we think, the way we speak, the way we act. And I think the Apostle Paul captures this so beautifully in that passage in 1 Corinthians 13. In fact, I want to invite you to say this with me as we close. Let's say this together. Love is patient. Love is kind. It isn't jealous. It doesn't brag. It isn't arrogant. It isn't rude. It doesn't seek its own advantage. It isn't irritable. It doesn't keep a record of complaints. It isn't happy with injustice, but it is happy with the truth. Love puts up with all things, trust in all things, hopes for all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And you remember how Paul ends that passage by saying, faith, hope, and love abide in these, but the greatest of these is love. So today <clears throat> and this week, I hope that we will make it our prayer for God's Holy Spirit to help us to you know, put the magnifying glass down when it comes to looking at others and turn it on ourselves, examine the condition of our own hearts to help us to be less critical of others and to help us finally to live and to exemplify a life of love, Christ-like love for all the world to see. That spirit, I want to invite you to pray with me. As we close, I'm going to invite you to kind of pray in your own way as you make your confessions to God because I think that um, we all need to ask for God's forgiveness for those times we've been self-righteous and prideful, judgmental of others. So make it your prayer this morning. God, help me not to be judgmental. Forgive me for those attitudes of the heart, words that I've spoken, actions that I've done. If you struggle with having a critical spirit and you find yourself always living in the negative Make this your prayer. Lord, please forgive me for this. Help me to be more thankful of others. More thankful for the blessings of my life. And finally, let's make it our prayer. Lord, please imprint on my heart your love. Help me to be a person characterized by Christ-like love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.